like I could do this, but I don't love this. I don't wake up in the morning thinking, I want to go to my lab. You know, I realized I was waking up in the morning thinking, I want to go to the costume shop. I want to go make costumes. I collected dolls for a while, like nice, like expensive Japanese dolls. Um, and I would dress them up and like do the, give them like new hair costumes, outfits. And then one day I was like, what if I did this, but on me? Hey, welcome to Soundplay. I'm your host, Alyssa. And today's episode is a little bit about a lot of things including but not limited to costume design, drag queens, creative writing, and cooking. But it's mostly about our own personal journeys and what it's taken to get to where we are now. So sit down, relax, maybe have a cup of tea. I'll go boil the kettle. And thanks again for being here. Let me show you how to make my favorite tea. You'll need a stem of ginger, a lemon, and your desired sweetener. First, put some water on the stove and set it to boil. Then grab a lemon from the fridge and slice it. You can cut it into wedges, you can cut it into circles, you can make little smiley faces from the lemon peel, it doesn't matter. For this recipe, I only use about two lemon slices, but it all depends on how lemony you want your tea to be. Then peel the ginger root and cut two to three slices off. Ginger is a little spicy, but it's refreshing and sweet at the same time. I'd advise you to only use one if you're not too sure about the spice. While you're doing all that, keep an eye on your water, and once it boils, drop everything in the mug and top off with your favorite sweetener. I like honey. Now that we're done with that, get cozy, grab a snack. If you don't have anything to make, don't worry. I'll be teaching you how to make some of my favorite comfort foods throughout the show. This episode is all about becoming, which is kind of a convoluted subject when you think about it. I mean, what does that even mean? The Oxford English Dictionary has like eight definitions for it, but I think the sixth one, which is to come into being or existence, is great. There's also this one, to come to a place, to arrive, passing in later use into betake oneself, 
which Oxford labels as archaic or obsolete. But I think the concept is far from obsolete. When I listen to these audio works produced by students across multiple different fields, I really feel like the concept of becoming is prevalent in our everyday lives, especially in college or in a costume shop or at a gay bar on drag night. And even though each of these stories have very different subjects and center around very different people, each traces an individual's movement toward discovery and embodiment, each of them becoming the person they knew they were against all external or internal forces. Be advised that this episode handles some difficult topics such as eating disorders and mentions of abuse. First up, we have Caden Bastani and their interview with Salem State's own costume designer, Becca Jewett. Trigger warning for eating disorders. Becca Jewett is the costume shop manager at Salem State. You know, walking around Salem State, I, I was just, I was in awe by, you know, the, the amount of, of stuff. <laughs> All the industrial machines, how big the costume shop is, how many cutting tables we have, um, the fact that we have a patch machine, the fact that we have a blind hammer, um, you know, we have a boiler steam iron. Those were huge pluses to me. You know, a separate dye room with an actual that. I mean, those are all big. It's, it's hard to find undergraduate institutions that have those things. And so, and I, you know, I got to walk through stock too. And I was like, this is a huge stock, which is really, really great. Um, so I was really excited when I went to go tour because, you know, I was just like, oh, the stuff is here to make art. You would think this is something she knew she wanted to do from the start, but she has done quite a bit before getting to this point. When she was 15, she loved doing ballet. It's one of the most pure forms of expression physically, I think, for me anyways. But there are downsides to doing ballet, especially doing it professionally. I don't know that I would have wanted to continue being a professional ballet dancer at that point. I mean, I think physically, in order to be as thin as you need to be to be successful in the industry, I wasn't eating properly. So if I had continued down that path professionally, I would have been hospitalized. And so I'm really happy that I didn't continue, that I, it ended where it did because I never had to be hospitalized. I mean, I don't regret it for a second, but I, I think I'm really grateful for the way that my life progressed at that point. So when she was in high school and she moved to Miami from Costa Rica, she started work to becoming a pilot. And so I joined the aerospace engineering track, um, which means that we got we had uh, flight school at, during high school. So I started learning the basics of um, airplane design, construction, uh, aeronautics. And it, I was working on most of the stuff that I needed to know to pass my pilot's license exam already. But being a pilot wasn't really one, what she wanted to do for the rest of her life. You know, I considered whether or not I wanted to be a pilot. Um, I easily could have just gone on to get, you know, my, my, you know, big fancy commercial license and gone to fly airplanes. 
but I didn't like the idea that I would always have to be traveling and that I would never really have a stable home. You know, growing up, my parents moved every three years, at least. Like, you know, we, we moved all the time. So when I was looking at what it would be like for me to become an adult, I really wanted stability. I was sick of moving all the time. So I knew that being a pilot was not a career that I was gonna enjoy as much as I love flying. So what did she want to do for the rest of her life? Graduated from high school valedictorian. Everyone was telling me, you, you have your pick of, of the world. What are you gonna do, Becca? And um, obviously I totally freaked out about that because you know, with that much pressure, I, you know, like my high school was, was big about that. There was one point where they like dragged us all into a room, the top 20 students from my class. And they were like, you're our legacy. What are y'all going to do? And, you know, baby, baby high school, Becca, you know, there's nothing like to make you panic, like moments like that. And I was like, okay, I have to do something. However, she did know that she wanted to do college with a major in theater in a minor in math. But after touring some colleges, she decided that she was that she was going to major in engineering instead with a minor in theater. But that also didn't last. Uh, but the amount of sexism that I had to deal with in order to be respected in those positions, even in college, like I, I was just like, I can't, I, I don't know that I'm going to handle this. Um, and I didn't feel passionately about the work that I was doing at that point. You know, I was looking at the options. I was, I was working in a lab and I was like, I could do this, but I don't love this. I don't wake up in the morning thinking, I want to go to my lab. You know, I realized I was waking up in the morning thinking, I want to go to the costume shop. I want to go make costumes. I want to go sew things. I want to go paint. I thought really hard about switching majors because I, you know, I realized I, I, I wasn't going to go into engineering after I graduated, but I felt like I owed it to my parents to finish because there wasn't any reason why I couldn't go to grad school for costuming. And so that's what I decided to do. In college, you don't always know what you're going to do afterwards. And hearing that someone so successful didn't know what she was going to do in college, it's really inspiring. It really takes time to know what you're going to do. She did freelance work. She ended up working in opera. She ended up working at the Huntington. And then later she came here. Hey, welcome back. I always love listening to that story because it traces a journey through careers and passions. I don't know about you, but I really feel Becca's excitement when she talks about costuming. Okay, so banana bread. It's a lot like costuming, hear me out. Costuming is a process that requires a lot of steps, a lot of deliberate action and intention, creativity and heart. And yes, I know I'm reaching, but I'm telling you, banana bread can have heart. And I think you'll understand what I'm talking about when I tell you my recipe. I adapted this recipe from Cupcake Gemma's Best Ever Banana Bread. You can find hers on YouTube. It's almost exactly the same, but I use vanilla and cinnamon, and it's the best banana bread I've ever made. 
you'll need two to three very ripe bananas, 270 grams of all-purpose flour, which is about two and a fourth of a cup, 200 grams of white sugar, which is about one cup, one teaspoon of baking soda, one half teaspoon of salt, one teaspoon of vanilla, one teaspoon cinnamon, one egg, one egg yolk, a quarter cup of plain Greek yogurt, and about a half a cup of melted butter. Oh, and don't forget the chocolate chips. She uses one cup, but I say use whatever your heart desires. She also includes chopped walnuts and pecans, about a quarter cup of each. Measuring out the ingredients is the hardest part, I promise. And I would advise you to measure them all out beforehand so you're not fumbling through the recipe. First, grease your loaf tin thoroughly with butter. You can use olive oil spray too, just make sure to really get in there. I always use a layer of parchment paper to ensure your bread doesn't stick to the bottom of the pan, along with an extra spritz of olive oil just in case. Now gather all your dry ingredients, flour, the baking soda, the sugar, the cinnamon, and the salt, and whisk them together in a medium-sized bowl. You're almost halfway there. Set that aside and peel the bananas. I trust you, you can peel a banana. Go on, I'll wait. Okay, now just smush them all up on a plate or in a small bowl with a fork. Let all your rage out on these bananas, okay? I don't wanna see any big chunks of banana unless you really like that in banana bread, then go for it. I always leave some chunks in my banana bread, so maybe I shouldn't be talking. Okay, now crack your egg and get your egg yolk, put them both in a bowl and whisk them around with a fork. Pour your Greek yogurt into that same bowl and mix that all around. Side note, I usually use buttermilk in place of Greek yogurt because I despise even looking at Greek yogurt, but like I said, if you wanna use Greek yogurt, I commend you for your bravery. Now pour in the pulverized banana and a little vanilla and let all those ingredients be friends for a little while while you mix them in the bowl. Okay, I'm sure it looks really good. So now you're gonna pour that mixture in the dry bowl and gently stir wet and dry together until it's fully mixed and there are no dry particles floating around. Try not to overmix. Then pour in your chocolate chips and nuts, do another quick mix and drizzle the mixture into a loaf pan. I save a couple chopped walnuts and pecans and drizzle them on top of the batter before I put the bread in the oven, and I would recommend you do the same if you like that extra crunch. Put the tin in the oven for about 50 minutes at 329 degrees Fahrenheit. This is very specific, not a degree more, or you will in fact burn your banana bread, and we don't want that. Okay, so I take it out and let it sit for about 10 to 20 minutes. People always say to wait until it's cool, but I ignore people, and you can too. Next up, undergrad student Matt Morrissey and their interview with a local drag queen. Latinx immigrant drag queen who lives in Boston, Massachusetts. 
Captain Mikhail, and like you said, he's a drag queen based out of Boston. It may seem like he has his life together now, and that he's happy where he is, but it hasn't always been that way for him. For Mikhail, he had always been conscious of the concept of doing drag. It had always been there for him, and it came naturally for him because he always enjoyed presenting as more feminine and doing things that weren't traditionally masculine. I was always just a little bit of a cross-dresser. I liked skirts and heels. And I, for a while, it was like under the guise of cosplay. And then I was like, nah, I don't want to do this. And then I collected dolls for a while, like nice, like expensive Japanese dolls. Um, and I would dress them up and like do the, give them like new hair, costumes, outfits, change everything about that. And then one day I was like, what if I did this, but on me? Briar Blush hasn't always been Mikael, and Mikael hasn't always been Briar Blush. Before Mikael became Briar Blush, he had to create a, and choose a persona. So my original drag name, which was Aurora Williams, um, Aurora from Sleeping Beauty, and then um, Williams from The Crucible, like Abigail Williams, because she's like the OG, like mean girl, like. <laughs> um, and then I was like, that name is terrible. Who wants to go to see some girl named Aurora Williams? Nobody wants that. Um, and so I was like, I needed a new drag name. And I created a list of a bunch of names. And then I like the name Briar because when Sleeping Beauty um, is not Aurora, her, the name that they get, gave her was Briar Rose because she doesn't know she's a princess. Um, and so I was like, I love that name Briar. I think Briar is such a pretty name. And then Blush because I love Blush. But some of my other name ideas, like one name I almost picked, I was so close to picking, it was probably number two, was Pony Metal, which like my drag is like very hyper glam, like hair, makeup, dance, costume, like fashion, you know, like picture that bitch, but named Pony Metal. I think that would have been, I think that would have been a serve. After choosing a drag name, Mikael finally became the persona Briar Blush. Briar Blush is the it girl of any time or place. And what that means is she is like the dark lady-ish alternative girl. Like she is not, she is not the Pamela Anderson. She's like the Dita Vontese. You know what I mean? She is not, she's not Twiggy. She's like, um, she's Jean Shrimpton. She's not, um, she's not Britney. She, well, I do perform Britney, but... <laughs> she's not Beyonce she's Gaga you know what I mean like there's like the there, there's the, the girl that's more appealing for the general masses and then there's a the girl that's equally as appealing but people are like wow she is like so unique and different she wears blue lipstick sometimes before Mikael had even thought about Briar Blush or doing drag he started out as a Latinx immigrant who was born and raised in the North Shore area of Massachusetts my mom is uh, really fresh off the boat uh uh from Guatemala and my dad comes from a very um, traditional family. And so growing up, they it was so obvious that I wasn't like my siblings and I wasn't like the other kids at school. I was always like um, the odd one out. And so I, I definitely always um, stood up. And then when I got older and like how uh, effeminate I was, it was just like so obvious. And I think for a while, my dad was very much in denial of a, uh, what it was because he would say things like you're gonna make a girl so happy one day but um then I just brought home a boyfriend and I guess that was my official coming out to my father he always felt a disconnect between himself and his family throughout his entire childhood well growing up there's such like a 
cultural difference between me and um, my um, my aunt and my mom, who are both like grew up in Guatemala, and my dad because he like lived uh, with like he was the youngest of like nine boys, right? And so he just like uh, grew up in like this very like working class um, traditional family that was very like hyper masculine, and my mom grew up in like um, Guatemala, and so having this little like effeminate child who wants to play with Barbies and dress like a total weirdo was just like, so like not on the MO for either of them to the point where they just like, didn't know what to do with me. And I was like a constant frustration for them. Mikael didn't just feel disconnected from his family. He felt disconnected from his social life too. Felt very lonely. Cause uh, I, I, I'm sort of like the black sheep of my family and I don't have the greatest communication with them now, but um, even as a kid, I, I didn't, I didn't like, yeah, I didn't have a lot of friends and stuff. The disconnect that he felt through his entire life only grew stronger as the years went on. He never really knew who he was and always had trouble because he was more feminine than masculine, which made him feel more alienated from the people around him. Throughout his childhood, he would always play with dolls and do his own makeup, which caused the relationship with his parents to disintegrate to the point where it affected his life in high school. Went through a lot of... um mental health issues and I just wasn't able to graduate due to um, all the things that were accumulating on my on me and so I dropped out which really sucks because I dropped out like in like the last quarter. Before he dropped out of high school he had spent some time in an inpatient mental health hospital. I had uh, some very unsympathetic teachers said some very like horrible thing to me where we were all having a meeting about like me not being able to catch up and I was just like I'm so like distraught at life right now and she was just like, well, do we need to send you back to, like, the hospital? And then after that, I think I sort of just, like, mentally checked out. And then I slowly phased out of, like, going to high school. And then I just didn't finish. After dropping out of high school, Mikael was kicked out of his household and ultimately moved to Florida with his abusive ex-boyfriend, whom he lived with for a year before leaving that relationship and eventually becoming homeless and incomeless. Faced with poverty and having no way of making an income, Mikael did the only thing he could think of to make money. I was doing a lot of sex work at the time. While trying to make a living doing sex work, Mikael started to struggle more and more with his mental health and feeling loved. When you start to equate um, things that should be like romantic and lovely to um, work, and then you start to view yourself as like an object, and it's very dehumanizing. You start to feel so um, so disposable and like unlovable because it's just like you are putting yourself out there. Um, hoping someone is going to want you and pay for it. And then you get disrespected and all these horrible things. So it's a, it does it does weigh on your brain a lot when you do stuff like that. Mikael continued to live in Florida for a year while he was trying to get back on his feet. During this time, he began to do drag full time, which eventually caused him to move back to Boston as a way to further his drag career. When the pan- After the pandemic, I started, I was just one of the first queens to get on it, like go to the clubs, perform in what little space I could and like just keep doing it. And now I just do a lot of um, weekend shows and brunch shows and I just sort of do anything. I don't turn anything down because I like a check. Uh, I like to pay my rent. By becoming a drag queen, Mikael has gained a lot. He finally has a stable income, a constant living situation, and accepting friends within the drag community. Most importantly, Mikael is finally happy with being himself. For WMWM 91.7 in the Soundplay podcast in Salem, Massachusetts, I'm Matthew Morsi.
And there we have it. For our last recipe, I guess I'll leave you with my favorite chocolate chip cookies, because it's always best to end with something sweet. Chocolate chip cookies may not overcome adversity, but can you tell I have a sweet tooth? When I started to learn how to bake, chocolate chip cookies were the first recipe that I ever made. For me, baking was a great way to stay present and mindful. As time went on, this specific chocolate chip cookie recipe served as a great way to gauge my experience. The better the cookies came out, the more I realized that I was learning, improving, and beginning to understand more about what exactly a recipe entails. During this whole process, I learned that recipes are just guidelines. That's all they are. You're allowed to insert some of your own personality into the food you bake. In fact, it's encouraged. That being said, this recipe is kind of a collection of many, but it's mostly based on Honeysuckle's chocolate chip cookie recipe, which you can find on YouTube. Grab about two cups of chocolate chips, a half a cup of butter, a half a cup of white sugar, and the same amount of brown sugar, one egg, one teaspoon vanilla, one half teaspoon of salt, and one half teaspoon of baking soda. Please feel free to rewind if I said that too fast. First, brown one stick of butter in a saucepan on the stove. If this sounds like witchcraft to you, it is. Very simple witchcraft that you can do at home. Essentially, just cut the butter into little squares and melt it down on medium-low heat until you start to see the little white particles and bubbles float up to the surface of the melted butter. These things are the milk solids. You might also see tiny little bubbles form in the butter, which is fine. That's just the magic doing its own thing. The melted butter should change from a deep yellow to a toffee-colored brown, and the whole kitchen should smell sweet and nutty, which is another side effect of the magic. Or at least that's what I like to think. Take your butter off the heat and pour it into a bowl. Let it cool for a while, but don't let it solidify. Once it's pretty cool, maybe about 10-15 minutes later, pour in the half a cup of white sugar and brown sugar, respectively, and stir it around until it's very fluffy. Then grab one egg, one teaspoon of vanilla, a half a teaspoon salt and a half a teaspoon baking soda and pour all these ingredients in the bowl, stir it around for a couple times until everything is incorporated. Now mix in one cup flour, three tablespoons of cornstarch, a teaspoon to a teaspoon and a half of espresso powder or instant coffee mix, and however many chocolate chips you feel like you deserve, which is a lot of chocolate chips. I don't measure the chocolate chips I put into these cookies. The very notion is against my moral code. But listen, if I were to guess, it would be about two cups. If your mixture is still a little dry and you're having trouble getting all the flour incorporated into the dough, keep mixing. If you're still having trouble, pour in like a teaspoon or two of half and half milk or heavy cream. Then the dough should be a little sticky and perfectly doughy. There's literally no other adjective to describe it. It's just doughy. Which is good, which is good. Okay, last step, scoop the dough into little balls and place apart from one another on baking tins that have sprayed parchment paper on them. I need about three tins for this recipe, but it really depends on how big you make the cookies. Bake for 10 to 12 minutes at 350 degrees and devour the cookies promptly afterwards. Please don't burn yourself. And then there you have it, chocolate chip cookies. I really encourage you to try them over and over and over again, especially when you have a headache, 
or you're stressed out about something from school or work or life, something sweet in moderation always helps a little bit, at least for me. And if nothing else, at least think of the stories you heard here today while making them. It might seem kind of random to you that I've compiled these recipes coupled with these stories, and maybe it is, but I'm okay with that. When I think of the concept of becoming as strange and universal as it is, I think of baking and cooking, but mostly baking. Because as I've referenced before, baking has helped me through so many hard times in my life. These stories, these snapshots of becoming, Not full moments, but journeys encapsulating a whole are a lot like recipes. It's a constant evolution. And I don't think it's simple at all. I wish I could give you a recipe for it, something you could put in the oven and bake for an hour. But I can only speak about lemon and ginger tea, chocolate chip cookies, banana bread, the pieces of me I've had to learn over time. And I can only introduce the amazing stories that Salem State students have produced that revolve around this topic. Maybe they'll help you too. At the very least, I hope you find something delicious to carry you through your constant becoming. I've been Alyssa. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.